Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So good seeing all of you here. It's good seeing you online. I just want to share an update about our Woodside Emergency Fund that we created last week in response to the crisis in Ukraine. Last week, our church family has given over $76,000, right? $76,000 to help the refugees, to help in the crisis in the Ukraine. Um, our missions team has been on the phone with pastors and various relief organizations out there um, to really assess how we help going forward. And um, th this is real, real good because the pastors and the relief agencies that we spoke to have said, well, the people of Ukraine, and you, you, you see this on the news and you see this, um, they're seeking shelter in subways, in, uh, in camps, they're camping out in church basements, they're, they're camping out all over the place, right, in homes, and they're just using any any place, any shelter that they can get. And what's happened now is that um, the people have run out of supplies. It's hard getting supplies in and out. So basic necessities, water, food, blankets, coats, generators, diapers, they are all in much demand and in high need over there. So this week we are working with Send International to start sending money and supplies to the Ukraine in relief of those efforts. Um, and that only happens, that's only possible because of your generosity, because of your sacrifices. So I want to thank you personally um, because of that, right? That is so amazing that you have taking it upon yourselves to be the hands and feet of God this way. So give, your help, give yourselves, you know, a round of applause. This is a really good thing that's happening. But the crisis in Ukraine, it's not over yet. And what we know is that, yes, there's a war in the Ukraine, but the refugee crisis is looming. It's looming large because people are being displaced because of the war. People are going to Poland and Romania, and now those churches there and the relief organizations there are trying to come to the aid of the refugees that are coming into the borders, right? And so this is where we're going to focus more also because there are people there who need help. And so um, in, in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to start assessing how do we start sending relief to those refugee camps, to the people who need transportation, to, to find family in other places. So that is where we need your prayers. That is where we need your thoughts um, because the people of God are there and the pastors who are there, they're really united. They're really united in the calling that they have that their church, the church in general, the capital C church, will be used to, to be a place of shelter for those needing shelter, a place of refuge for those who are refugees in a war-torn land. So um, be praying for them. Be praying for Pastor Igor, who is one of our missionary partners out there. So that is the update from the Ukraine. That's what you are all doing um, in relief in the efforts out there. So I sent an email this past week about joining me in this Lenten season in reflecting, reflecting in three areas, right? Preparing our hearts, mind, and soul to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in six weeks on Easter Sunday. Easter's only six weeks away, all right? That means Resurrection Sunday, you want to start thinking about who you want to invite to church that day because this might be the last chance you get to invite that person, um, you know, because you just don't know, right? Because they've been weighing heavily in your heart. So invite that person, put in your mind who you want to invite, make sure you invite them, right? But the three areas that I want you to really reflect on in the next six weeks are these, right? To reflect on God's love for us despite our sinfulness. Me meaning how God's grace liberates us from succumbing to the penalty of sin. 
Secondly, to reflect on our obedience as Jesus, or as a disciple of Jesus, right? Um, is Jesus someone we follow when it's convenient or advantageous? Or is Jesus someone we follow despite everything? Ask yourself that. And lastly, I want you to reflect on your love for your neighbors, the love you have for your neighbors. Have you been neglecting them, going high and to and fro, wherever you gotta be because you're so busy? Or are you really allocating the time, money, and resources, your energy towards loving them the way God has told you to, has put on your heart to do so? So I'm hoping, right, as we reflect in these three areas, that as we pray and as we reflect on these things, that God's power, his mercy, his grace is gonna shine forth in our lives, right? It's gonna shine forth and that we will be filled in awe of what God is doing through us in those areas. So that is my prayer and I hope you really join me for that. We're gonna be in Jonah chapter three, um, but before we turn there, I wanna pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, whom shall we fear? You are our light and our salvation. You are the stronghold of our lives. Armies and wars may be upon us, but God, we are confident that we dwell in your house because we dwell in your house and we wait for you. We take courage because you fill us with your powerful spirit. Send your Holy Spirit to us. Fill us, fill our lungs. The the smallest child in here to the oldest, God, fill us. Let your spirit kindle our passions for you as we eagerly anticipate celebrating your resurrection. God, I want to ask for that same courage, for that same spirit, for that same confidence for your people in the Ukraine, in Russia and throughout Eastern Europe, God, the first responders, the refugees, the people left behind, God, let them sing and make melodies of you. Let their cries be heard from heaven and send them your salvation. God, that is what we pray. That is what we want, God, because that is what you have asked us as your people to do. God, as we study your word today, help us examine our own lives through your eternal perspective. God, convict us and move us towards repentance. And God, as we repent, don't turn your face from us. Love us unconditionally. Help us be obedient to you as your children and as your disciples. God, if there's any lukewarmness or disobedience or half-heartedness or inaction, God, procrastination even, God, forgive us. And help us be loved and love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 3. We are at the climax of this book. I am so excited to share this with you. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Let's read it together. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. That's amazing. That is so amazing. That's a miracle. Here's the big idea with that I want all of us to walk away with today. The big idea is this. God responds to repentance. God responds to repentance. And we notice clearly it's because this Clearly, it says this. This is the conclusion in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do and did not do it. God responds to repentance, right? And God's response to repentance is merciful. It's loving. It's full of grace. It's a supernatural act of forgiveness. It's a miracle that we all need to cherish because we're not entitled to it. That's what the Ninevites learned. We, we know this in verse nine. In verse nine, the context is this. The king of Nineveh says, who knows? He wasn't sure if God would hear them when they repented. Who knows God may turn and relent from his fierce anger, he said. But the question is, why did the people of Nineveh repent? What caused them to repent in the first place? And it's simple. The reason is simple. It's because Jonah repented and the people of Nineveh followed his example right? Through Jonah, they recognized their status before God. They recognized who they were before a holy God. You see, many of us, we fail to repent because we fail to see who God really is. I, I want you to follow along in this, this game of logic here, but, you know, psych, psychologists say the reason we fail to see things that are truth is because we have other ideas or we have other truths, half-truths that are more convenient to believe, and so the truth about God, the culturally accepted truths about God that we see in today's society, there, there are actually three truths that we all believe, all of us, we believe to a varying degree of certainty, right, and truth, right? And the first view is this, that God is the clockmaker God. And many of you may have heard this argument, but God, the clockmaker God, he has created everything. He's the creator and maker of the universe, right? He loves all people, but you know what? When it comes down to it, he sits back and watches, he sits back and watches, right? So God is just watching things as they unfold in our lives. And, you know, we don't repent because he doesn't act. And you know what? When we do repent, God is so gracious at the end that he will fix because he's the clockmaker. And so we start believing some truth about that, about our God. And so we fail to repent. A second view of God that pervades our thoughts is this, that God is vindictive. There is no point in repenting because if we repent or even if we repent God's just going to punish us anyway and he's just going to add a list of another thing to do because you know what it's not good enough for him he is vindictive he is vengeful so why bother repenting we're just going to live sinfully and so that view of God also pervades our thoughts in cultural society that that's truths for some of us the third view is this that God is a loving God so he's a free spirit God as long as it doesn't violate my conscience, as long as it doesn't violate anybody else's right and it makes you feel good, that's what God is about. God has no qualms with you, so why repent? You're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong to you. You're not doing anything wrong to anybody else. You're just good to everybody. But none of these views of God are actually truths about who God is. 
You see, the God of our Bible, the God in the Bible that we see right here in Jonah is a God who is eternal and righteous. He's the God of love. He is a God of transcendence. He's above time and history and space, right? He is imminent. And nobody can escape him, not even people who are not his people, the Ninevites. He is everywhere. He is unchangeable. He is truthful. He is reliable. And he is personal. He knows you by name. He knows me by name. He knows all of us by name, right? That is who our God is. And when we believe that about God, about who God is to us, we have no choice. We are compelled to repent, not because of the the atrocity of our sins, but because of who God is, the kind of being he is, the kind of God he is. And what we realize is this, that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord, and we know this, and Jonah realized this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, right? He realizes this, and that's what causes him to repent. There's nothing that he could do to get himself out of the belly of that fish. But in repentance, when he repents, God saves. And the people of Nineveh are realizing that in this chapter. So having believed that and having known that God is the God of salvation, the God of our Bible is the God who saves, we must know that God Our God responds to our repentance. That leads us to three observations about the process of repentance that we're going to see unfold in chapter 3. Those are in your notes. Those are the three points. Repentance first begins with hearing the word. Repentance begins with hearing the word. And then repentance involves believing the word. You have to hear the word and then you have to believe the word. And lastly, repentance requires responding to the word. And so we see the process of hearing then believing, then responding. That's what repentance is. That's what causes us to repent, right? And so I'm highlighting this process because when the people chosen by God repent, there tends to be a spiritual phenomenon that follows suit. That phenomenon is called revival. Some of you have heard of it, right? That phenomenon, revival, revival happens when people, the people God has chosen, repent and he starts changing their lives. He returns to them how things were created or once were created or intended to be, how things are unfolding in heaven. They start unfolding on earth and they come from the people of God and they start unfolding everywhere on earth, wherever the people of God are, because in repentance, God is responding. God is answering, God is saving. And that's a beautiful phenomenon that we all want, that we all need in the society. Our world is broken. I I think everyone here would agree. Our world is broken and Our world, this moral cultural decline that we're experiencing now, that we're all complaining about, that we all see, that we all murmur about, it needs to be revived. It needs new life. It needs restoration that can only come when we are ready and willing to repent. So in this this world that we see here, this is is what we take away from Jonah chapter 3, that in our repentance there is revival that God will give new life. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a miraculous thing. But I want to review Jonah's story up until now. Because this story, this book in the Bible is not the first time we actually see the story of Jonah. We don't actually see Jonah for the first time here. He first actually shows up in 2 Kings chapter 14. And in five verses in there, we see what what Jonah was doing. We we see his track record. And we, we heard this a few weeks back, right? And so I want you to look up the story later on. But long story short, Jonah is living a time in Israel when it's not advantageous to be a prophet of God. And we know it's not advantageous because the king of Israel at the time is a guy named Jeroboam. And for 41 years, he did what the Bible said was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he caused the country and the nation of Israel to do evil also. What what that means simply is that what he incited the people to do is to get ahead 
in any, by any means necessary, by doing anything necessary. And so there's a saying, right, that corruption breeds opportunity. This, this is a saying that happens in all third world countries, that if there's corruption, there's opportunity to make money. And so this is exactly what was happening in Israel. Israel at the time was war-torn. They, they were engaged in war with the neighbors all around. They were losing their borders. And trade was so cut off that they were lack of supplies, that people were dying, literally starving to death. And Jonah intervenes here. This is where Jonah intervenes. Jonah comes and he speaks on behalf of the Lord. And people listen. And because people listen, God restores Israel. God doesn't allow Israel to fold that day. The, the sovereignty of Israel is restored through Jonah. And that's where Jonah's story first begins. Well, what we also understand about Jonah is this. If you flip a few chapters back in that book in 2 Kings, we found how Jonah grew up. Jonah didn't just grow up. He didn't just appear out of nowhere, right? What we know is that he lived in the time. His youth group was led by a guy named Elijah and Elisha, the sons of the prophets, right? So he saw and experienced the miracles that God had done. These were his friends. He knows what God is capable of. He experienced the power himself in this act in Israel himself, right? So he's very aware of who God is, what he's capable of doing, and what God, if you ask, when people are obedient, will do for them. And so despite all of that, when God tells Jonah, hey, you know what? It's time for you to go to Nineveh. He runs away. He runs away. He's disobedient, right? That, that's that's how the book of Jonah begins. He's disobedient, right? And so he's groomed, he's trained, and you know, he knows and he's familiar with God. Yet that is most of our stories, isn't it? If you grew up in a Christian home, that, that's how you come back. You, you know what God is capable of. You've seen your parents reconciled. You've seen family members come back from addiction. You've seen the dead walking alive again. You've seen miracles and you experience this and yet you fail to give yourself to God in obedience until one day God says, welcome back. And he gives you a second chance which brings you here, this time and place. And so this is where Jonah is in chapter three at the beginning of this chapter. The fish just spit him out. The fish just vomited him out and he's here, second chance. Isn't it amazing isn't it amazing how God uses Jonah's disobedience to equip him for service? He gave Jonah a second chance. He didn't have to. He could have saved Nineveh on his own. But despite what Jonah did to run away, when Jonah repented, God restored Jonah. That's where our hope is. That's where our hope is. So I, I, want, I want us all to ask us to ourselves these two questions, right? These two questions are pivotal to, to how we see the rest of this chapter. The first question is this, are you living with only the memories of obedience to God in your life? Are you living only with the memories of obedience to God in your life? And second question is this, are you substituting your past spiritual record in lieu of current spiritual submission to God's will? And if you answered yes to either of those questions, then we need to repent. Then we need to repent because Memories of obedience to God isn't, will not ever replace obedience to God now. It can't, it won't. You can't ride that forever. That's what Jonah learns when he's in the belly of the fish. That's why he repents. Everything that happened in Israel, it doesn't matter anymore because God has a new assignment for him. He needs to be obedient now. Just because we gave our lives to Jesus in the past 
Just because we did a few things right, we can't live on that alone. We need to be obedient to him now because God is calling for obedience now. And so we need to re- repent. We need to be in a constant state of repentance to be in his will, right? Because as we submit to his will, when we totally submit to his will, we start feeling the presence of God reviving our lives to the same spiritual fervor that we had when we first gave our lives to him. You see, we will never have the spiritual life that we desired, the relationship with God that we want if we're unwilling to repent and unwilling to posture ourselves towards repenting of our disobedience, no matter how small or big that disobedience is. So the process of repentance is always the same. And this is where we start our big, big, deep dive into this chapter. Let's go to verse one again. Verse one says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You you see, when, when you repent, God comes back to you. He always comes back to you. And God says this saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. I want you to see that the last two, the three words, the message that I tell you. This is God talking to Jonah. If you read this verse two carefully, this is eerily similar to what happens in chapter one, verse two. And in fact, the, the only three words that are different is the word I tell you, the word that I tell you. And I'm pointing that out for a reason. The reason I'm pointing that out is simple. The first time that Jonah went and he was called by God to go to Nineveh, guess what? He knew what he had to do. He had to go and proclaim the word of God. Would you all agree? He knew exactly what he had to do there. He knew what his mission was. He didn't understand why he had to go to Nineveh. He didn't understand why he had to go there. And isn't it funny how when we sin, when we're disobedient to our parents even, that we don't understand why they tell us those things that they tell us? We, we just don't understand, right? Like you could tell your two-year-old not to touch the hot stove, but guess what? You don't tell them why, right? They're, they're never gonna know, right? That when they touch it, they're gonna get burned. And this is exactly what's happening with Jonah, right? When we look at our own sins, even, we disobey God and we choose which rules or which of God's commands to follow or which of God's callings that we want to follow because we don't understand why God is telling us to do the things that he's telling us to do. And Jonah's in that same boat, so he he runs away. He understands what he has to do. Most of us do. He didn't understand why, so he runs away. And so the second time around, what we get a sense is, Jonah starts to understand, oh, I get why you're telling me to go to Nineveh because this is the second time God has told Jonah and said, this is Nineveh, the great city, the city that I care for. We we learn more exactly about why God cares for the city in in chapter four, verse 11. Flip there with me for a second. Um, And it says this, God tells Jonah, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their, left hand, their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And very simply, God is compassionate. John understands why now, right? He's compassionate. That's who God is. And so that is why he responds to repentance, number one. But this is also why God sent Jonah in the first place. And Jonah's understanding that. He, he's starting to see that. He's picking up on that. God cares about the city, That's why I need to go. That's why I'm being sent to go. You see, when we start understanding why, we we stop sinning because we understand that the sin is not beneficial for us, right? There's a reason why God tells us to do things and not do things. And so Jonah, in verse three, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's doing exactly what he's told. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath, right? I, I, I I want us to see this. It's a huge city, 
right? This is before Christ. This is ancient times. To have a city that's three days walking in diameter means it's pretty huge, right? I mean, pretty huge is an understatement. This is large and sprawling. So this huge city that Jonah is being sent to, he, he is gonna be the vehicle that God uses to rescue the city. And so when, when he heard that, when he heard this word, he believed the word and he responded by going, right? That, there's that process of repentance. So he repented. And so genuine repentance is not partial obedience. Genuine repentance is going all out, totally obedient. And Jonah is totally obedient because, you know, the, the reason the author puts in there three days journey in breath, we, we see what happens in verse four, verse four, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. He goes a day's journey. He didn't go to the city center. You, you see where powers and cities lie, power and influence lies in the city center, right? That's what downtown is about. Downtown of cities is where all the big companies are. That's where all the big companies want their real estate to be. It's where city hall is, right? That's, that's what we know about the power of a big city. It's at the city center. But Jonah here, he goes one day in. This is still the outskirts. The outskirts of the city. Now he's at the outskirts of the city and he's proclaiming the word that God had given him. And so the lesson for us is simple, right? He was obedient right away. He didn't wait till he got everything right, everything lined up where he needed to be to start proclaiming and being obedient to God. He started it from the outside where things seemed insignificant. So if repentance is hard, start repenting on the outskirts, in the small things of your life, the insignificant areas of your life. Because when you start repenting in those insignificant areas, it starts to snowball, right? You, you see how obedience works. God looks for obedience, not only in the big things, but also in the small things. And so this is a practical application for us, right? It's these insignificant areas where God chooses to use Jonah, he chooses to use Jonah in these insignificant areas. So go to verse five, right? Go to verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You see, even in these insignificant areas, God is working. God is working and he's working not through a sophisticated message or a persuasive argument, but with a simple message. Look at the message that Jonah gives in verse four, right? Verse four, he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What's that tell you, right? It tells you, one thing, if, if these were really Jonah's words, that this one, you know, six-line sentence was his words, he's an impressive orator. But if I said that to you, or if you said to someone else, these words, what would they get out of it? Nothing. They wouldn't repent. And so, you know, that leads me to the conclusion that the writer of Jonah was thinking about Jonah's words because Jonah probably had a lot of words, unrefined, saying a lot of things, but none of them were memorable, they, they weren't significant in any way. And so he summarizes them to be simple, to be easy. And the reason I'm telling you about this is this. It's simply God doesn't require great knowledge or skill. He just requires total obedience. He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest, right? And so when, when you are totally obedient and God is taking care of the rest, people aren't believing what you say. They're believing what God says, who God is. You see in verse five, what we find is the Ninevites didn't believe Jonah, they believed in God. Believing in God caused them to repent. That's what led them to that response, right? And so when we have a posture of repentance, people may not believe us, but they will believe God. They, they will know God because of our posture. They will know God 
because of our repentance. This is how our lives change. This is how our neighborhoods change. This is how a nation changes. This is what being revived is, right? And so when the people of Nineveh believed in God, they placed their trust in him and they acted accordingly. Look at verses six to 10. We're gonna finish this up. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sad and ashes. Kings don't remove their robes, right? That, that's just a point that we need to, see, to, to make. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that was in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see, not only did the people on the streets hearing the word of God from Jonah repent, but the king of Nineveh repented. From the least to the greatest, slow and steadily, from the smallest, most insignificant outskirts to the greatest, most important areas. And so that's how we repent also right? In the small things, the things that are in secret, things that don't seem to matter as much, the white lies, that the small, insignificant stealing that we do with time, we start repenting. And little by little, the word of God is going to get out. It will be believed. And it's going to cause a response for people to believe in who God is, right? And so new life comes from this type of repentance. You, you see, the people of Nineveh responded to the, to the word of God, they, they turned from their evil ways. They called on his name. That's what repentance is, right? They, they, they turned from their evil ways. They stopped doing what caused so much end. They were grieved. These were not God's people. These weren't Israelites, but they were chosen by God regardless to be given God's grace and mercy through their repentance. That is an amazing miracle. God revives them because of their repentance. And so when we die to ourselves, just like Jonah did in that belly of the fish, and repent, and we receive the grace offered by Jesus on the cross, we're revived. And our testimony, it's not for people to believe in us, but to believe in God. You see, the evil of our sinfulness came up to God, and God, in his loving mercy, he rescued us through his son. Jesus was totally obedient to God the Father on the cross, he paid for our sins, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but it leaves us awestruck because he gifts that to us freely. And it's a miracle that the creator of the universe could love such an insignificant piece of dirt like you and me. You see, we believe in God because of this. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior because of this, because he came to pursue us first. You see, many of you know how I came to faith. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't believe in God. I didn't give my life to Jesus. I could have spat back the words of the gospel to you. I could have evangelized you, but I didn't give my life to Jesus. None of that happened. In fact, it took a repentant person, my friend, who received the word of God, believed it, and acted to share with me the good news. Not in elegant words. He was Christian five minutes longer than I was. But he shared the gospel as best as he could. And that caused me, when I heard it, to believe it, to confess it, to proclaim it. 
You see, that's how it works. That's how the word of God works. Some of you need to give your lives in belief of that. You have to admit that you're a sinner, unworthy of God. You have to believe that God is for you, that he sent his son to die for you. You have to confess, God, I want to change my life totally around. And God will help you do it. You see, if that's the response that you have, then do it. Make that choice right now. And maybe, maybe you've given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're at a place where you need to be obedient in the calling that God has given you right now. A calling to submit to his will in total obedience. And for some of you, that may mean, hey, go and getting baptized because you've been avoiding making a public declaration of your faith. You'd rather live in the shadows, coming to church sometimes on Sundays, but never publicly declaring who your savior is. Maybe some of you, you've, you've been avoiding accountability for such a long time. It means go get in a life group. We have plenty, right? Go get accountable. The small sins that you think are not hurting anybody, they're hurting you. Go get accountable. And maybe others of you, you've been avoiding sharing that message that God has put on your heart, that life-saving message that someone needs to hear, that God has brought into your life, and they just sit there waiting, longing for you to share it with them. Share it. It's easy. It's not sophisticated. God will use it. That's where we need to be, the season of Lent. This is where we need to be, people. This is what we learn from Jonah. Because when we have a posture of repentance, God responds mightily. Let's pray. Father in heaven, salvation belongs to you. God, and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to rescue us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't, we didn't deserve to be loved, but you, you love us anyway. And when we respond... To you, because we believe in you, God, you, you graciously, lovingly give us new life. That, that's where we want to be. That's the sweet spot that we want to live in. But God, we know that's not possible on our own will. We, we know that we can't do it alone. And despite our, our greatest efforts, that we fail. And that causes us to repent more. And God, it, it doesn't matter because you continue to listen, that you continue to give us more chances, more opportunities for us to live exactly how you create us to be. And God, as we move towards total obedience, empowered by your spirit, God, we believe that you will do a mighty work reviving our lives, but also the lives of the people around us that you have us interact with. No matter how big or small, no matter how insignificant or significant. God, we do it because we want to be obedient to your calling to us. God, there there are some of us who who are feeling like Jonah, just exhausted from the repercussions of our sins. It it feels like we're, we're in the belly of the fish right now, or it just feels like we've just been vomited up. God, give us a word of encouragement, God, to get up and go and do, because you gave us a second chance. For, for those of us who are waiting for culture and society to change before we repent, God, give us the boldness to openly and publicly repent and return to you with humility because, God, that is how you change nations. This is what you desire, that we become wholly devoted to you, not the sacrifices that we make, not, not the things that we do, but being repentant and obedient. Let us be like the Ninevites and humbly repent knowing that you're going to respond, healing our land because we called your name and we turned from our evil and wicked ways. Walk with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.